if you take a look at it on an organismic level and in communities of organisms, we are basically uh, the ecosystem of all of these bacteria. And it is only and it is only when we take a look at the body that we begin to realize that there are many things that are going on inside our body that's beyond our consciousness and beyond our control. And it's up to us to discover uh, what these are and how we might be able to harness it or manipulate it such that we have better health. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Dr. Ted Ashakosa. Dr. Ted is a health optimization doctor who experts in clinical metabolomics, chronobiology, epigenetics, neurointerventional radiology, and so much more. Dr. Ted, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Sim. Glad to be back here. Yeah, it's uh, we had our first podcast like over a year ago or something and uh, the last time we saw in person was in uh, London at the Health Optimization Summit. So uh, what have you been up yes. to? What have you been up to since that time? Well, um, I have been uh, lecturing uh, a little bit more on health optimization medicine and practice. Health optimization medicine is home. Health optimization practice is hope for non-doctors. Mm -hmm. And um, I pioneered this 10 years ago uh, in the Philippines, and we currently have a global interest. Uh, as you saw, we had a lot of interest in London. Um, we also had uh, our nonprofit organization approved uh, in February. Uh, you can go see it at homehope.org, and uh, you could see what uh, we've been up to there, uh, as well as the uh, modules uh, for those who wish to practice health optimization medicine or health yeah. optimization practice yeah. so um yeah that's a, yeah that's what i've been up to and uh actually sim it's quite funny uh that the lecture uh slides that i use for doctors um i don't use them anymore because the the slide deck that the doctors understand is the consumer version it's very funny so, so now I have uh, uh, moved to uh, doing the lecturing using the, that that is intended for the non-doctor, and it seems to be better understood by the doctors themselves. Right. And it's really a very simple concept. Uh, as I started uh, to to uh, tell you, you know, what the, in the original podcast. So essentially, if you you uh, Take a look at the car. Uh, you know, doctors are trained to do repairs. Like mm -hmm. they repair your flat tire, or they repair your your you know uh, engine overheating. But uh, doctors are really not trained on maintaining health. And uh, health optimization medicine is about health maintenance. And I do not fault the illness medicine uh, community for. Uh, not knowing about this, um, I came from the illness medicine um, sector myself. You know, I was an interventional neuroradiologist and a pharmacologist. So um, uh, the tools uh, that allow us to uh, detect uh, and correct imbalances in the body are new. You know, they're a 
about 40 years old now, but they're only reaching the clinics right now. So this is like the dashboard in a car where you could see your tire pressure is low or you could see your, um, your engine is, uh, temperature is high. Uh, these were unavailable to us before. Um, but now you could detect the metabolites that, uh, that actually give you that the body is going to imbalance. And the reason why I, I chose clinical metabolomics is that A, it's currently what's testable and clinically provable, right? So it's mm -hmm. easy for doctors to understand that this is not hocus-pocus. This is uh, actually um, yeah. uh, a clinical practice in itself. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, you know, our, our body, um, many of us are actually going into genes and gene testing and all of that. But those can only tell you uh, what can happen, right? Mm -hmm. But what is happening now uh, uh, can be told by the metabolites. Because the farther you go away from the genes, like in the metabolites, you could see the effect of your environment. Like, for example, uh, toxins. You know, it's uh, interesting right now that uh, I have an increasing rate of uh, clients. Uh, I call them clients because they're not sick. Uh, in illness medicine, you call them patients. Um, with um, mercury toxicity, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and I haven't, you know, um, in my, uh, since I pioneered this 10 years ago, there's been a steady rise of, uh, of uh, toxins. And you cannot find this toxicity in your genes. You will find yeah. it in, in the metabolites, right? So yeah. this is the importance of knowing what's clinically actionable. Yeah, genes are nice to know your, your predisposition to certain things, uh, but they're also highly dependent on the uh, database by, by which they are based. I was reading an article this morning where um, this journalist uh, tested uh, two different types of, uh, of uh, DNA testing, one in China and one US, uh, 23andMe, and uh, she got wildly different results. And that's because they were using different statistical cohorts you know one was using a chinese uh, population and the other one was using a mostly european population so you could see the errors in in uh, gene testing this way but metabolites are metabolites if you're low in alpha lipoic acid then you're low in alpha lipoic acid yeah. right yeah. um and so, they're now standardized uh, among all laboratories in the world yeah yeah it's a, it's a it's a good kind of a and basically, it's like a concept where you're trying to look at your body as a holistic system and trying to identify what's what's the root cause of the symptoms that you may experience. And then you're trying to not only like fix the symptoms, but uh, also just you know under or fix the underlying root cause. And therefore, I just try to optimize your health rather than try to just treat the particular disease with like medicine and uh, the you know ph pharmaceuticals that the traditional medicine tr tr tries to do actually sam i don't like using the term root cause because <laughs> that is a term used by functional medicine and right. functional medicine looks you know they claim to take at the root causes of disease which we don't we're only after health maintenance. We don't make any claims to treat any diseases. Uh. It's just like, you know, you, you have a signal to, that you have a low tire pressure, like, like your, your glutathione is low, uh, then we give you an acetylcysteine. You know, it's mm -hmm. more like uh, if, for example, if your tire pressure is low, then you top it up. We don't 
we don't say that well okay this is the reason why you're why you're getting this or that disease so we're just saying okay you have an imbalance here let's just correct imbalance because you never know what the lifestyle of the uh, person is and the person may run into a nail and get a flat tire mm. you know so we don't make any such claims so I reserve yeah. that phrase root cause, you know, for, for people who are in functional medicine because they are yeah. practicing illness medicine. You know, we are practicing maintenance medicine. We're after health maintenance and optimization. Mm. That's why it's called health optimization medicine. Okay. Right? Uh, yeah, so got it. Got they it. are part of a spectrum. Yeah, they are part of a spectrum. Um, and I don't like us getting confused with that because <laughs> we, yeah, the important thing about us is we make no claims, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That, that's, yeah. A, that's a good it, it, it's, it, Good clarification that you're not you're not like um, you know doctors treating patients. You're no. just biohackers treating clients who want to feel and uh, function at their best. If that makes sense. Yes. Even even if you have disease, right? We don't take care of the disease. We leave the specialists uh, to do that. And that's why functional medicine has so many fights with illness medicine. Is because they claim to treat disease, right? And I leave them to that. I mean. That's their business. Uh, uh, that's what they. That's what they do. That's what they were founded on. And then you know they are. They are uh, under the illness medicine umbrella. But there's nothing in there that's under the health optimization umbrella, and that's why I created the health optimization part. Mm. They're part of a spectrum. You know, you just yeah. don't suddenly get sick. You know, um, unless you get into an accident uh, or you have an acute infection. But when you are getting into the discussion of chronic diseases, where illness medicine has a very poor track record of treating, then you could see the changes. Um, right now, you could see the changes in the metabolites first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so you're so, more about like disease prevention as well, because health optimization, in essence, will uh, kind of protect you against the diseases in the future rather than trying to, you know, go, you know, most people just go to a doctor when they're already sick and uh, <laughs> it's too late by that time. <laughs> Again, uh, Sim, I would like to clarify, right? Much okay. as I don't like to use the word root cause, I don't like to make any claims on pre disease prevention because that is the purview of preventive medicine and they use highly statistical models for that, mm -hmm. right? That's the reason why there is vaccination. There's the reason why, you know, um, uh, you have all of this uh, particular, uh, if you want to prevent heart disease, you follow the, f you, you decrease the following risk factors. If you want to have, uh, 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 avoid Alzheimer's, prevent Alzheimer's or diabetes, those are all preventive um, measures, but they're also illness medicine based, meaning they're based on the statistics that you're not going to get the disease, okay. right? I'm more towards really health maintenance and optimization. Again, I don't want to make any claims for prevention. You know, all we're doing is just correcting the imbalances in your body. It's hard when you make claims for prevention because the, the, the people who do population prevention will come hard on you. Mm. If you do, if you just do health maintenance and health optimization, whatever happens, if diseases are prevented, if uh, diseases get cured or, the, the, uh, or, or, or their symptoms mitigated, then those are the beneficial side effects of health uh, maintenance and optimization. And that's why I carved this out as separate. Oh, we don't want any fights with anyone, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, because the sciences that we use here are new. The science that we use for detection is, uh, is of course, uh, metabolomics. Uh, there's a therapeutic metabolomics where you replace the vitamins, minerals, cofactors, etc., and you replace them as a network. 
mm -hmm. right? Um, but there are also other things. Uh, clinical metabolomics was never taught in medicine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's high time that it be taught right now, but I don't think you have time to, to teach it. Mm -hmm. um, the other sciences that are used were, are also not taught in medical schools is, for example, the, the, the big new area of epigenetics, right? Mm -hmm. With the discovery of the, uh, of the uh, Horvath clocks, for example, or the Grim Age clocks, which are now uh, the new, um, for example, I'll give you an example, for example, the Grim Age clock, which is just released this year, um, will predict your time to death and time to first heart attack and, and so on and so forth. It's pretty, and it's pretty accurate. So, mm -hmm. and, and this is, these are epigenetic markers. So we were never taught epigenetics in medical school. And so we don't expect the illness medicine doctors now to really know about it. Right? Okay. But there has to be there has to be doctors and health practitioners who are actually well versed in this. So you know um, what's epigenetics really? It's 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 like uh, these are the these are uh, um, uh, these these are the uh, uh, factors uh, that are um, heritable. Actually, can they can be inherited that are not part of the gene, but they alter gene expression. Mm -hmm. right? So uh, you hear concepts like like DNA methylation, you know, uh, uh, histone deacetylase and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool, uh, right? But the, yeah. what the, what the big area right now here is in the formation of, the, of what's called the epigenetic clocks, right? right? And they're very useful because if you're giving something, like you're giving a supplementation, et cetera, et cetera, how much does it move the epigenetic clock backwards, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if you saw the study last... Uh, I think it was September, you know, they, um, on, I think it was on nine, eight or nine, uh, white men, uh, age 55 and over, where they tried a combination of growth hormone, uh, DHEA, and, uh, uh, one more, um, uh, metformin. And again, they're using drugs. Right? I, I, I mm -hmm. use drugs last in my practice, but this is illness medicine trying to, to, to do things in aging for example and they were able to reduce the Horvath clock or the epigenetic uh, Horvath clock by two and a half years right uh, so um, yeah, let's, 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 let's take a, like a brief uh, stop pit stop here like you mentioned yeah. these um, epigenetic clocks and the DNA methylation so to mm -hmm. say so uh, yeah like that's one of the like latest research shows that it's those are one of the biggest or best predictors of uh, longevity and your like real uh, biological age. So can you like also maybe give an overview of uh, what is it and uh, how can people, you know, assess it? Yeah. Um, um, essentially, you know, Horvath came up with the Horvath clock in 2013 and then uh, scientists just uh, basically modified it to include um, a few uh, molecule indicators right to to the clock so you have um the, if, if you if we backtrack we take a look at the types of clocks that are out there they're definitely they're, de they're uh, of two categories one is time from birth right so mm -hmm. you have the Horvath clock the skin clocks uh the muscle clocks and so on they determine uh your, your the epigenetic clock from birth so uh if they test your your clock then they'll see whether or not your epigenetics is younger than your age or 
you're older than your age or you're just the uh, same as your age. But the more interesting clocks is that these are time from birth clocks, right? The second category is time to death clocks or time to mortality or uh, time to morbidity, meaning the time that you get sick. And it's very interesting that the, the only clock that's there right now that's published um, that does this with uh, great accuracy is called the Grim Age Clock. And it's uh, uh, what they did was, I think, um, about 4,500 um, patients from the Framingham Heart Study, and they superimposed the epigenetic clocks of smokers. And they were able to predict not only uh, the time to cancer, to cancer or time to first heart attack and so on in the smoker group, but in the general population as a whole. And that's pretty scary, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that we're able to do that now mm -hmm. with uh, large sets of data and using neural networks and AI and, and so on. But um, it, this, is, this, is, this is a very interesting development now. And I predict that the um, uh, these types of clocks, like the Grim Age, which is time to, to first heart attack, time to cancer, time to death, uh, you know, and time to whatever disease can be uh, predicted. Um, I, I think this is going to be uh, what's going to be used by illness medicine in the future to determine whether or not their treatments are actually working. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's five-year mortality rates, right? How many people die in five years? And that's how they assess how good their treatment is. So, uh, or how good their chemotherapy is, or how good their prevention is. So, um, I, I think um, um, in, in in the near future, because the clock is already there, right? Yeah. Um, that uh, the, the assessment of any therapy in in the illness medicine section uh, will be evaluated by how much you're actually able to move these types of clocks backward, right? And in health optimization medicine, of course. We, one of our principles is uh, neotonology, meaning making you younger. Mm. How much can we move your epigenetic clock younger than would be the goal of um, using uh, healthy strategies uh, to do so, like just balancing out your metabolites uh, and so on and so forth. Right now, our end point is, well, you are in an optimal range, meaning your range of uh, vitamins, minerals, cofactors, hormones, are between the age 21 and 30, right? That's mm -hmm. currently the endpoint that we present. We're not making any more claims. Right. The rest so, are beneficial side effects. But with the uh, uh, advent of these clocks, then we're able to show you that after a year, yes, the, or, or two years, yes, the needle has moved backwards on your epigenetic clocks. Okay. Um, so right now, there is... Um, you're looking the, at like the... Yeah. You're looking like like the biomarkers then, and then trying to assess it based upon like the information you have. Um, based on yes. the based yes. on the uh, epigenetic clocks. Yes, uh, what, there what, is one. What, what, there is what, one company. Sorry, sorry. Uh, what would be like some signs then uh, for people, uh, or, or like what would indicate that you're aging healthily or that you're eating too fast? <laughs> what are, what are some of the good signs? What are the, some of the bad signs in your like uh, your your uh, biomarkers? Um, there are. If you take a look at the um, there. The illness medicine group is actually studying a different set of biomarkers, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're uh, studying uh, things like the width of your red blood cell, the level of your insulin, and so on. But one of um, uh, the, um, the common um, uh, markers that are um, used 
uh, even in illness medicine, are your markers for inflammation, like your high sensitivity uh, C-reactive protein, for example, um, is uh, one of those markers. Um, in men um, and women, actually, your levels of testosterone, um, uh, uh, the your um, uh, blood sugar, you know, mm. or uh, or a better um, uh, uh, a better gauge would be your fasting insulin level, mm -hmm. right? Um, these are you know three of the uh, things that are common when you're looking at um, uh, making you younger. That's why, for example, fasting works, right? Mm -hmm. You uh, essentially drop your insulin levels way down and in right. the same um, by the same token also dropping your blood sugar so these are the kinds of things that you can prove you know um that uh, your epigenetic clock is actually uh getting younger or at least if it's if your clock is older than what it is then um uh uh what should we call this then um it, it to, to bring you back to your healthy cohort right? mm -hmm. uh, yeah. what's scary about things like epigenetics is that you know, it affects uh, three, at least three generations. For example, a woman who is smoking can affect um, uh, her unborn daughter yeah. and her unborn daughter's uh, ov uh, ovarian cells or her eggs. So then you see that it, uh, the smoking, uh, a smoking pregnant woman actually affects three generations. This is without uh, alteration in the DNA. This is just... Uh, with an alteration in the epigenome, uh, that's what's called, you know, what it's called. You have your genome and you have your epigenome. Mm -hmm. So um, that's with epigenetics. Of course, the, the other big area um, um, is, uh, same is uh, uh, microbiota, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we, we are now ad nauseum being told that it's the largest, uh, you know, um, immune system in the body is now the gut. Uh, and so on. But more interestingly, we are finding, uh, I was just in a, in a uh, pediatric neonatal pregnancy, um, childbirth, neonatal, and pediatric microbiota conference in Milan uh, two weeks ago. And um, they're showing that even the placenta has its own resident microbiota, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, information changes. Uh, for example, when we were in medical school, we were, we were taught that urine was sterile, right? Mm -hmm. But now we know that there is a, a resident microbiota in the ureters, you know, uh, from the kidneys. Oh. So um, uh, even in uh, ophthalmology, uh, you know, I, I just uh, texted a friend of mine an article uh, from a while back showing that the cornea uh, has its resident microbiota and that mm -hmm. has uh, its impact on uh, you know, corneal transplant banks and so on. Um, but what's um, interesting is that in the adult microbiota uh, conference in uh, Warsaw, in Krakow, um, uh, close to mid-October of this year, where I went, is, you know, there are now, there are now products that actually have uh, a skincare product that have uh, microbiota in, there, in them, um, you know, uh, targeting particular particular conditions like acne and, and so on. Um, and, and that's really interesting uh, because not, we have expanded from the gut, uh, which contains uh, uh, 70 to 80% of the, 76% um, of the gut bacteria, are, of the bacteria actually in our gut. The rest are in our lungs, in our noses, 
you know, uh, in a sexual organs, in her skin. And uh, of course, vanity always sells, right? So uh, it's a good mm. business now that there are actually quite a few companies that have targeted the skin, uh, analyzing its resident microbiota, and then taking a look at which particular uh, microbiota actually beneficial for different skin types and uh, mm-hmm. and for illness medicine, different skin conditions. Um, so, and there's still a lot of work um, being done in the gut microbiota because we've only begun to scratch the surface, right? So now you know that changing the diet can actually help in depression and anxiety um, yeah. and Parkinson's, you know, all of these uh, mm-hmm. things that before we didn't know was connected to the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's because of the existence of the uh, gut-brain enteric microbiota axis, right? Yeah. In medical school, it was just the gut-brain axis, but now we know that yeah. there's an enteric microbiota yeah. axis. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think about, like, uh, uh, th- there's, there's a saying, like, you know, that gut, gut diversity is uh, associated with increased longevity and uh, that you need to have, like, this very diverse microbiome to stay healthy and uh, to not get sick, basically. So, uh, wh- the, like, what's the actual what's yeah, the actual understanding um, currently about that? About that? Um, the current understanding about that is really uh, in the context of the immune modulation, right? The more gut bacteria you have, the more bacteria there is to teach your immune system. You know uh, what is friend and foe, and right. how to mod- then how to modulate what comes in and in terms of your food because Remember that the gut bacteria pre-process all of the food and all of the oral antibiotics that you take and anything oral that you swallow will be pre-processed by the uh, gut bacteria before absorption. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, uh, and what, what that gut bacteria do is they present actually the antigens to the uh, immune system, right? And so the activation, the activation and so on will be, uh, and one of the things that we know um, uh, helps in longevity. Uh, uh, I, I, I am not a longevity doctor. I am mm-hmm. a quality of life doctor, right? right? I'm not a quantity of life doctor. I'm a quality of life doctor. But one of the things that we know in, in uh, longevity is that if you have a well-functioning immune system, Mm-hmm. then you are you actually live longer. In fact, in the study that was in September, the purpose of the growth hormone uh, in the growth hormone metformin and DHA trio was to actually stimulate the thymus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to produce more, uh, to produce uh, thymus cells and produce more thymosins. It was not to activate the mTOR pathway for bodybuilding, but mm-hmm. it was simply to uh, activate the, the, the thymus gland. Right now, mm-hmm. you can inject you know, thymosins, et cetera, they're available, um, uh, from, uh, they're, they're available out there. If you know where to look, I won't tell you where to, where to get them, but, um, and, and that I think is the reason why, um, uh, highly diverse gut bacterial population is beneficial for you, uh, mm-hmm. is that there is more out there that actually can teach your immune system and you have a better regulated immune system. Right. right, so it's so, so it's more a, like a you have a more robust immune mo- modulation. Yeah. Yes, it's like you're able to kind of withstand the uh, environment that you're in better, and your food that you intake is actually like a huge signal for like the yeah, it's a signal for the microbiome to uh, be at a certain state and in a certain state of balance. But at the same time, it's also like a signal of what kind of environment are you in, and that's going to like predict 
or yeah, predictate your uh, immune system functioning as well to kind of uh, withstand that environment. And it's it's almost like the the dysbiosis is is just like a byproduct of disease that there is like imbalance, and uh, therefore it's just it's yeah like the byproduct of being sick, not 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 inherently like. Um, that is causing the sickness, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's why in health optimization medicine, we turn that around. We say that the um, gut microbiota is actually a postnatal organ, meaning it's an organ itself of the body that, uh, that, is, that, that occurs after birth. It just grows after birth. It, you know, there's two kilos of it that you carry, <laughs> and it's always there. So um, they can be they're shed every day when you poop, right? Mm -hmm. But um, uh, once you take a look at it as an organ that pre-processes everything that you eat, you realize, realize now how important it is. Right. Um, because we used to consider it as something that's outside ourselves, right? So the, this bacteria outside itself. So once you consider it as really a part of you, then uh, you will see that uh, how important it is as an organ in your body that you should take care of. Hmm. And if you don't take care of it, it will, it can uh, produce, uh, so, uh, it, there is now a correlation rather, rather than the cause, there's correlation with, for example, uh, depression, anxiety, um, uh, uh, and, and other uh, conditions, even, even derp dermatologic conditions. And of course, uh, highly correlated with with colon cancer uh, are your levels of uh, butyrate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, produced also by your gut bacteria, by your colonic bacteria. As you know, uh, it's now uh, established in literature that uh, low levels of, of uh, butyrate in your colon is highly correlated with the occurrence of colon cancer. Uh, okay. That's even accepted in illness medicine. Okay. So I, I, heard, I heard, yeah, like butyrate is like a really important shortening fat acid. And yes. uh, you, you get it, you produce it when your body digests this fiber, uh, but you can also get it from like, you know, uh, animal fats and uh, animal foods. Yes. So like, what's, are there any differences in terms of that, so to say, that, uh, you know, you can get it from both sources. So what's the difference? But the, um, what, what's interesting is that most of the bacteria that actually produce butyrate are actually de uh, dependent on the presence of fiber. Hmm. So even if you have fats there and you don't have the fiber, um, then you won't be producing as much butyrate. So hmm. uh, it's still good for you to actually have uh, uh, insoluble fiber, soluble and insoluble fiber intake. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I absolutely um, agree. Yeah. So, so that so so that uh, there is a there there is a place where um, the bacteria can can actually hold on to and work uh, and work on your fats and uh, work on the soluble fiber for the production of uh, butyrate. So, um, so that's um, and that's why you know um, uh, you said when you introduced you said, uh, there are actually seven pillars of health optimization. We went through clinical metabolomics, and then there is epigenetics, and then there is uh, um, uh, microbiota, and then there's also bioenergetics. Bioenergetics are the mitochondrial function. It's actually very funny, Sam. I was read. I, I just I, when I just when I googled bioenergetics, something about um, uh, managing the chi energy, etc., came up, <laughs> and I said, "Oh my God, this is this is the." 
a different kind of bioenergetics, right? right. Um, uh, but um, bioenergetics essentially is uh, w- w- the big lesson that we learn from bioenergetics is that we're actually open to the environment, right? So uh, the plants uh, photosynthesize and produce uh, uh, oxygen for us, and then we inhale the oxygen and produce carbon dioxide. We're actually very uh, yoked to the environment, to sunlight, and so on for the production of our energy. Um, you know, um, uh, Jack Cruz uh, was actually uh, famous for saying that we are yoked to sunlight. And that's true. You know, we, we basically uh, rise in the day with the sun rising and, 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 and falling and so on. And uh, being yoked to that means our mitochondrial function or uh, that which produces uh, energy for us is also uh, yoked to, uh, to all of these uh, uh, rhythms, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the only reason why we move uh, and we need energy to, to move uh, is uh, so we can find food, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, a food-finding uh, system. Uh, so, uh, in, 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 so there are a lot of findings now about uh, mitochondria. It's a, it's a huge area of study. It's what I got known for uh, many years ago, you know, because I really got interested in the energy production uh, of the body. Uh, I actually started my clients and patients, or say, on intermittent fasting 10 years ago before it was vogue to do mm-hmm. intermittent fasting right? Right. <laughs> because you know that the way i uh, i do my analogy is for example uh, you can consider mitochondria not as batteries of the cell but they're actually um, uh, kitchens right that mm. that are cooking continuously for you if you stop giving them food to cook you will clean the kitchen Right. And they will produce other kitchens for you to cook the food. And <laughs> the minimum amount of time, the minimum amount of time for that is about 12 hours. So I try to get my clients or patients on a 12-hour feeding window. And then I slowly decrease that window to about eight hours. And honestly, Sim, I, since I travel a lot, that's the one constant thing that I do. That's mm-hmm. why I don't gain weight, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I eat anything during that eight-hour window, but I really am strict about stopping eating, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when I finish my window. Yeah. You know, I, you can, you can uh, see me eating unhealthy, right, for, for that particular uh, window, especially when your body is extremely jet-lagged and so on. But um, it has uh, essentially saved me. Yeah. from uh, a lot of the problems of uh, jet lag. Yeah. You're just following um, a, 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 a fasting window or yeah. a feed. It, fasting sounds so negative. So I say it's a feeding window, you know, a shorter <laughs> feeding window. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so it, does, it doesn't sound like a deprivation, right? Exactly. And the, the one other lesson, Sim, that uh, we've learned, of course, is that uh, mitochondria organisms, they are bacteria. They have their own DNA. They are, uh, you, one of the theories of aging is that, you know, there's increased in, um, in uh, mitochondrial DNA mutation. Mm-hmm. Um, there is about, there are about 5 to 15 um, uh, circular DNA per uh, mitochondria. Um, the average cell, except the red blood cell, has about 500 uh, mitochondria per cell, higher in the brain and in the liver, about 1 to 2,000 per neuron or per hepatocyte. So mm-hmm. we could see that we are actually being um, powered up by bacteria. 
-hmm. And what's interesting is that these bacteria are inside our cells, right? And mm -hmm. they are actually uh, communicating with our gut bacteria, uh, with our gut microbiota, uh, and that has already been shown. And we have talked about short-chain fatty acids like butyrate. Butyrate is one of those molecules that is used to communicate between the two. Um, uh, the two uh, bacterial groups in our body, what's called the endosymbiont or uh, those bacteria that dwell inside our cells and the exosymbionts like our gut microbiota. And these are exciting things, right? Uh, because we never thought that bacteria would be talking to each other this way, but there are several mechanisms and one of the predominant mechanisms is the use of butyrate as a communication molecule. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, between the two, the two types, yes. And so... That's why you heard me in London introduce the term holobiontology, right? The concept mm -hmm. of holobiont has been there. I didn't invent it. And holobiont simply means that we consider the entire body as the ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. Illness medicine considers the in, us as individuals in a population, right? And the population is an environment. So then, you know, the, the, with our, for example, I'm in Manila right now. My environment is... Uh, you know, uh, a polluted city um, and a noisy one. Uh, but uh, that's, that's, that's the environment and there's a population of people here. And then I'm an individual population. So in holobiontology or to consider bodies holobiont means that I am now the ecosystem or I am the environment, mm -hmm. right? And all of my, my cells are now organisms um, that are in that ecosystem and they have to be uh, in in har harmony and in balance and all of them. I mean, the origin of our somatic cell or our body cells is also from an anaerobic organism, right? So if you take a look at it on an organismic level and in communities of organisms, we are basically uh, the ecosystem of all of these bacteria. Mm -hmm. And it is only when we take a look at the body as a holobiont um, uh, that we begin to realize that there are many things that are going on inside our body that's beyond our consciousness and, you know, um, uh, and beyond our control, uh, really. And it's up to us to discover uh, what these are and how we might be able to harness it or manipulate it such that we have better health, right? Yeah. Ultimately, the systems of illness medicine cannot really work on the holobiont level completely. Um, for example, um, it was um, in, in, in the Milan conference on the uh, pediatric uh, microbiota, neonatal microbiota, pregnancy, etc. Um, one of the most pernicious things that we do, and I, I, I don't know the solution to this, is before a woman goes into cesarean section, um, you know, they give prophylactic antibiotics. And this really damages the microbiota of the infant mm -hmm. with long-term consequences, right? So... Um, uh, so uh, I, I cannot propose uh, any solutions, any substitutes, any changes right now. It's probably, uh, you know, to do prophylaxis with natural antibiotics uh, more um, rather than um, all of this that will actually bomb, carpet bomb your gut microbiota. Right. But these are the kinds of things that we begin to realize that we're doing and when we're not looking at the body as a holobiont, right, as mm. a system of interacting organisms. Right. And that's why uh, I uh, was joking in London, you know, uh, there is biohacking uh, and then I'm proposing biont hacking. So mm -hmm. after all the biont hacking, which is more like to the level 
that we're doing it in health optimization medicine, right? right. Because the body, you know, Sim, the body will always uh, 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 equilibrate. It's in dynamic equilibrium. It will do its compensations whether or not it's, it's, it's a beneficial for you, yeah. right? It, it will equilibrate whether or not it's beneficial for you. Uh, in fact, one of the, uh, you've heard this before, that one of the theories of cancer, for example, is that um, uh, uh, the imper evolutionary imperative of a cell is uh, it wants to survive, right? So when the conditions aren't right anymore, it breaks away from the regulation of the body from cooperative mechanisms. And it says, I want to survive, you know? And so it starts reproducing itself uh, and so on. And, and you have cancer. And that brings us to actually another pillar of, um, of, of uh, health optimization medicine, which is evolutionary medicine. I attended um, uh, the, uh, the Congress in Zurich uh, this August on uh, evolutionary medicine. And, you know, it asks the question, why do we get sick, right? What predisposes us to get sick in the first place? You know, why do these uh, diseases uh, have a propensity to occur in us, and it, it traces the, our evolution not only as uh, not not only as human beings, but our evolution from single-celled organisms all the way to um, to the uh, human evolution. So that's quite interesting because when we look, uh, and the importance of this is actually when we look at levels of vitamin D, for example, um, uh, vitamin D. The, the gene for vitamin D is highly conserved. It's probably 600 to 700 million years old, right? It has mm -hmm. been there since we were single-celled organisms in, in the ocean. So you could see how important these master genes are in the course of evolution. And then we, in illness medicine, you know, it's only recently that we, you know, in, in, in the last decade or so, they really paid attention to vitamin D. But evolutionary medicine looks at that. Right uh, and and says okay here are here are the things that were that are uh, that were and are still are essential for us in the course of evolution right mm -hmm. and uh, another uh, application of evolutionary medicine is a paleo diet right the paleolithic diet the reason why it works right now is because the make and model of the human body is actually geared for the paleolithic period um, by the same token and this is important scene is that. People are seeing, saying, oh, you know, metformin is good for, for anti-aging right now, etc. And this is a bearing on evolutionary medicine. If we were eating paleo right now, right, metformin wouldn't work. It would be the wrong drug. <laughs> right. But right now, it works. You know, uh, cakes and pastries and, yeah. you know, we grew wheat to feed a large population. We, grew, we grow rice. Uh, in Asia uh, and eat rice here in Asia and so on. Um, but then um, if you, if you uh, uh, take a look at it, you know, we are looking, the, the, our, our problem is that we don't have an evolutionary point of view. And health optimization medicine has an evolutionary point of view. You look back and say, okay, you know, um, where did this come from? Why is this happening uh, uh, in, in the context of evolution? Right in the context mm -hmm. of evolution, so you have a lot to to chew on actually in um, uh, in uh, evolutionary medicine. Um, uh, even the, the the cycles that I told you before, the day night cycles, uh, you know, the diurnal rhythms, uh, 
the uh, 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 the circadian rhythms, infradians, supradian uh, rhythms, and so on. You know, those are actually encoded uh, within within our uh, in in evolution within us. Um, mm -hmm. I was. Um, I don't, you know, uh, same. I was uh, reading a long time ago. Um, I was reading uh, an article by Stephen Jay Gould, you know, um, and uh, he's one of those uh, famous um, uh, paleontologists out of Harvard. And he uh, essentially said that he, he essayed on this organism that had uh, actually um, uh, very small uh, light receptors on its surface. And uh, over the over the years, it evolved to uh, larger and larger right, light receptor, and uh, you know what it was correlated with. The moon is is uh, uh, drifting farther and farther and farther from the Earth. So, in order to get its rhythm from the moon, from the moonlight, it had to increase the size of its uh, light receptor for wow. the moonlight in That's order crazy. to be able to. Yeah. So. Articles like this uh, from the past, you know, if you are a doctor and you are thinking, you know, about this stuff, you know how, you know, how um, uh, cycles are actually uh, uh, tied in uh, to evolution. And mm -hmm. that's now the big study of chronobiology, which is the other pillar of... Yeah. Um, uh, so of, would you... Yes, and would, yeah, I chronobiology is... I want to ask a little question, like, yeah. uh, so would you say that... Uh, that the, the, the like the necessity for getting like more sunlight or some some form of uh, light cycle that would uh, be necessary for like an organism to uh, develop and uh, become like a higher level organism. Yes, um, you know it's really very simple. If if you um, yoke your cycle to sunlight, uh, then you would be much healthier. For example, if you go out in the morning and expose yourself to the sunlight of the region where you are. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, then then um, uh, it, it basically sets your body clock, right? right. Um, uh, and because of, because we have invented artificial light, uh, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for for our convenience, now uh, many of us are off that cycle or off the clock. But we can actually simulate that. There are now you know uh, home systems where you could actually simulate the the light cycle that's going on outside of you like for example in my uh in my house um uh i have uh, something that simulates uh, actually a regular day cycle uh, in my house in dc i simulate a, a, a day cycle similar to uh, the tropical cycle i'm currently in uh you know right here in the tropics so i essentially don't break from my light cycle that quickly you know and then mm -hmm. i change it when i return i i change that cycle slowly and slowly to the region where i'm in it's impossible because when you when you travel too much or when you work uh for example in a night shift etc you are really going to pardon the french uh fuck up your circadian <laughs> rhythm yeah <laughs> Um, people always ask me, you know, what do, what, do, what do we do for shift workers? I mean, for them. I mean, we created these jobs for them, you know, where, where you're in a support desk and, you know, it's daytime in the United States and it's nighttime here and vice versa. So, so we, we created these things uh, for us. And, uh, of course, the body suffers because it was not intended for that, mm -hmm. right? So the best thing that we, we could do is mitigate it with light also. Like, 
use uh, uh, infrared light, you know, with the proper frequencies. Uh, you know, uh, wake yourself up with blue light. Um, for example, for me, I I, um, I suffer from seasonal affective disorder um, because I'm I have tropical genes and I am transplanted in uh, North America. And um, you know, in the mornings, whether or not it's winter, I actually have a vitamin D lamp. I mm. you know. I uh, basically sun myself in the vitamin D lamp uh, morning and noontime. So mm -hmm. to morning to wake up my, uh, you know, when uh, Sim, when the sunlight hits your skin in the morning, it actually raises your cortisol levels. It wakes you up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's that stress hormone that wakes you up. Uh, that's why one of the things that you do when you're jet lagged and you have to adjust very quickly the time zone is that you take, you know, uh, hydrocortisone um, you know, at, at the particular times to, to time you for at least a few days, right? Mm -hmm. um, before you get into a regular cycle. So we, we're just copying these things. We're using drugs to do them. But the best way and the most inexpensive way is to actually yoke yourself to sunlight. Yeah. You know, um, go, go out, uh, you know, um, uh, go out there, do some forest bathing, you know, um, uh, and so on. Uh, you know, air which you cannot, well, <laughs> which, which is uh, uh, in most uh, cities uh, that are now very uh, polluted. Um, so, which brings me to to the topic, to the other pillar, which is exposomics, right? Exposomics is like your the your your exposome is like your environmental genome, right? It's the sum total of the environment. Uh, that you are in and that you grew up in. For example, if you're the the example that I always give is that if your mother was drinking alcohol during uh, pregnancy, that's part of your uh, that's part of your exposome. So um, so we're looking not only at the toxicities but the sum total of your environmental exposures. If you're getting X-rays yearly, if you're getting CT scans every two years, all of those uh, exposure to radiation, for example, is part of your exposome. And the World Health Organization maintains an exposome database, right? Um, it maintains an exposome database, and it's geared for cancer. But for me, um, one of my, as I, I mentioned earlier uh, when we were introducing this talk, is that one of the things that I've seen rise is the rise in mercury. Um, mm -hmm. And most of them, uh, for my clients, is eating, uh, eating fish. It's not uh, exposure into in inorganic mercury from from uh, break, uh, broken ther uh, uh, thermometers and stuff, but it's more of like accumulation of mercury uh, in the fish that they eat, mm -hmm. right? So, um, so now I, I suddenly had to educate myself, you know, what fish are high in mercury and, and so on and so forth, because you need to give this type of advice uh, to them. Um, but the thing is, and, and um, I, I just discussed this in, in one lecture, in, in Tuscany is that we often, because we are, there are so many specialties in medicine and they make diagnosis, right? Based on what they see for a particular organ. When it's like a total body toxicity, like mercury, it will present us different things like cognitive decline, arrhythmia, you know, uh, progressive muscle weakness, uh, uh, ataxia and, and so on and they will be diagnosed differently by you know and then as severe anemia uh, this will be diagnosed differently by the neurologist and the cardiologist uh, and the uh, and the dermatologist the, the, the some of the uh, clients even have 
atopic dermatitis, uh, you know, from, from uh, mercury. But they are diagnosed separately. But if you are doing metabolomics and you're taking a look at the, uh, uh, the toxins in the exposome, you will see very clearly that you can tie all of these diseases together over time that, oh my God, this is actually due to the rising mercury in uh, a client or patient. So, and this is the way I actually try to, to make illness medicine people realize that we're not actually fighting you. We're, you know, here it is. Uh, this, this is the result of metabolome testing. We're taking out anything that's in excess and we are putting in anything that's uh, lacking and we're not claiming anything, right? We just, make, we, just, we just make life easier for you because your treatments get better. Uh, because oftentimes, Sim, you know, we have to call the cardiologist and say, hey, the, the patient is, your hypertensive patient is now experiencing hypotension, right? The blood pressure is getting lower. Maybe you can consider cutting the, the blood pressure medications. Uh, you know, we, we work in, in, in tandem with them. And what I say is that they can do this themselves. But, you know, um, uh, uh, in the usual practice is that they, they would just refer because, again, this is, you know, probably another two years of studying for them to go through uh, all of the pillars, right, uh, of, um, of uh, uh, health optimization medicine. So uh, that's, you know, that's the, uh, an, an overview of, um, of um, health optimization medicine, you know, clinical metabolomics, epigenetics, bioenergetics via the mitochondria, uh, gut immune system, uh, microbiota, uh, evolutionary medicine, chronobiology, and exposomics. So, mm -hmm. if you could consider those, Sim, those are not taught in medical school. So yeah, we, we, you know, we don't expect our our illness medicine doctors to know about these. Um, but and and what I just really ask of them because I came from there, right? I came from there. It took me three years to to turn my perspective around towards health rather than disease. So instead of disease management, we're actually doing health management, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of health of lifespan, we're doing health span. Mm -hmm. Instead of quantity of life, we're doing quality of life, and we're just part of a spectrum. You know, um, we we work together. Um, and what yeah. I simply ask of them is not to be close-minded about these things. Just because you know uh, you don't know something doesn't mean that you should shut it out. Right? Uh, to keep and to keep yeah. your mind open about these things, and that's the hallmark of the progressive doctors. There are some doctors where, if my um, uh, patient or client goes to them, for example, they want to remove all of the supplements that I gave, and uh, my mm -hmm. clients have learned how to respond properly. Is that uh, doctor? This was measured by Doctor Ted, and here are the results. And I'm deficient, and therefore I am getting supplemented. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the fact that we're measured, right? And that's why I don't like not measuring. Right? The fact that we're measured uh, is easier to show, hey, there's a deficiency, hey, there's a toxicity, you know, uh, um, via valid um, uh, means of test in clinical metabolomics. So the, the mere fact that you have, I borrowed a page from illness medicine, right? You diagnose and treat. Mm -hmm. Ours is di detect and correct. Right? Okay. They diagnose and treat disease, we detect and correct imbalances. It's really very simple. Right? Um, the concept is very simple. But in health optimization medicine, as you already alluded to earlier, we have to work with the entire network. Uh, for example, uh, you cannot just give testosterone to a guy. 
uh, you have to, to take a look at all the other major hormone systems in the body because they actually network to each other, right? Yeah. Um, some, some hormones are majorly anabolic. Some hormones are majorly catabolic. So, uh, and, and they balance each other out. Uh, the body uh, will actually uh, compensate for that. And our uh, definition of health, same, right, is, is uh, the absence of disease plus balance between anabolic and catabolic processes in the body according to your life cycle. That's A plus B plus C. Absence mm. of disease, balance between anabolism and catabolism according to C, the life cycle okay. of the organism. So how, do you, how do you find if, the balance like in terms of the uh, anabolic and catabolic sides? <laughs> so you actually take a look at their... Uh, it depends on what you're looking at. If you're looking at the, the uh, hormone levels, right? Then you, you take a look at the, the, uh, the different interactions between the anabolic, major anabolic and catabolic hormones. If you're looking at nutrients, then you could take a look at their, um, uh, at their um, uh, action on the mTOR pathway. That's the, that's the uh, build or anabolic uh, master uh, gene pathway or the AMP kinase pathway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is activated by fasting and food and it's the major energy sensor of the body. So you could see that that, that goes in the catabolic side. There's... Um, uh, I, I, I think it became famous a couple of years ago. Um, um, the uh, uh, work by Dr. Navio, uh, I believe he's in scripts. So I may be wrong, but I believe he's in scripts. And he uh, basically essayed on the cell danger response. And he shows that the cell actually uh, is dependent on the summer and winter metabolism right? Mm. Even if you're in the tropics, as he calls it the summer and winter metabolism, summer metabolism um, is when you actually uh, uh, work out and, and, and uh, catabolize and uh, winter metabolism is when you actually start storing things, right? So, um, and these are, these are kept in balance. And that for me is a very simple way of uh, looking at anabolic and catabolic process, processes. But what's more interesting here is that he does it on a cellular level which is where mm. we operate in health optimization medicine mm. so there are many uh, many um, uh, new things like this that are out there but there's no one's actually synthesizing them sim there's no, no one synthesizing them into what can you do in actual clinical practice how do you measure how do you uh, 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 balance all of these things um, that are being discovered and that's why I pioneered health optimization medicine 10 years ago in mm-hmm. order to basically do the synthesis of all this. In other words, I, you know, um, one of the big takeaways that I, I saw in London uh, in the uh, summit is that there was no framework um, by which biohackers uh, actually do their hacking. Mm-hmm. And when I presented health optimization medicine and health optimization practice, suddenly things were making sense for them because this is a comprehensive framework to put in what they're doing. Oh, I'm taking now, uh, you know, um, uh, NMM, right? <laughs> or, uh, or I'm taking this or I'm taking that. Like, where, where do you put that really yeah. in, in, the, in, the, in, the frame, in the framework? Like, so it's not haphazard biohacking, uh, you know, Specific. that's why this is, the, yeah, beyond hacking is more orderly. So yeah. you, yeah, because like, it forces you. Yeah, it's right. like mo- most most but most people who are new into health optimization and biohacking, then they just think that they need to take all these different supplements. They need to get all these different gadgets, 
to be healthy, but whether or not they actually need it depends on their own you know, status, uh, what, what's, uh, yes. what, what status their body is in and what kind of deficiencies they have, and etc. So they, uh, this sort of a shotgun a- approach isn't that effective. Approach, yes. It's, it's, not, yes. it's not suitable for most people. Like you would actually want to be like more like a sniper and a sharpshooter <laughs> to pinpoint the actual uh, problems and then fix them. Yeah, you, you pinpoint the imbalance by measuring. And mm-hmm. each time that uh, the, the challenge comes from illness medicine, each time that they challenge me, I ask them, he said, uh, for example, I send them a client or a patient and say, they go, oh, why are you in hydrocortisone? You know, I'm going to take that out. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Dr. Ejokosa measured it and I actually need it. You know? <laughs> so it's, it actually, uh, you know, the measurement is actually very important because you're not doing a shotgun approach, as you said. Yeah, right. Uh, you know exactly what particular uh, what particular uh, metabolites to target. Number one and number two, you know what network they belong to, because when you, for example, when you raise uh, hydrocortisone, you're going to depress the growth hormone production. Mm-hmm. So you know immediately that there's the balance that occurs, and that that balance is very well established in illness medicine literature. I mean, any medical student would learn that. Um, uh, uh, you know, in, in um, basic medicine, but we tend to forget those things. These yeah, are basic true. balancing acts that are being done by the body. Yeah, right? that's true. So, uh, so it's a yeah, great, great topic into which we could delve into much more detail, uh, but, but we should start wrapping things up again. And uh, uh, before, before we, uh, before I ask my last question, like uh, what would be some of maybe key points or what, what is your own, let's say, optimal diet for your health and uh, cognition? Um, for, you, you know, the optimal diet is a diet that works for you. Uh, that's, my, that's my usual answer because uh, it's a one, uh, one size doesn't fit all kind of uh, diet because, A, you know, I don't know what your, what your lifestyle is and I don't know what your activity level is. Right? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's uh, basically, it's this. Uh, for me, an optimal diet is one where all of your um, micronutrients are optimized, right? Your vitamins, minerals, cofactors, etc., are all at the optimal levels. So uh, that's, that part, um, uh, you know, is for me non-negotiable. Those, those the, your, your micronutrient, uh, you must have micronutrient-rich food. Mm-hmm. The, um, the one that's negotiable is actually your macronutrients, your carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, right? Right. And even for one person, uh, that will vary. For example, uh, on a general day, uh, you know, I, I eat most of my fatty food at, at my first meal, which is at noon in the U.S. Um, and uh, my, my second meal is around four, and it's uh, high-fiber carbohydrates, right? The, the salad or... Uh, uh, green leafy vegetables and a fruit, uh, and then uh, for for uh, dinner I have my protein like uh, you know steak or uh, okay. low mercury fish something like that. Um, that's in general, you know. Uh, I, I it's called the the food food separation diet. Okay. Um, what's what's the reason for that? Or it's because the enzymes that digest your food uh, right. they're actually different for each type. So if mm-hmm. you want it to be more efficient, then you, know, you, you just give it uh, mostly one food type to digest. That has yeah. worked for me. It may not work for other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, uh, it, based on my activity, for example, 
you know, if I'm just going to be sitting around the whole day, you know, attending meetings or, or, or seeing clients or seeing patients, then I, uh, I basically have a very high fat, very low carbohydrate diet. Very important to always say that it's a very low carbohydrate diet, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, if, if you're going to be eating uh, high fat. And, and that's yeah. because for me, uh, for my body, fat, fat provides more energy and it's a cleaner fuel, right? Mm -hmm. And my brain sur can survive on ketones um, with, with a lot of mental clarity. That's fine. It's, uh, in, I'm in nutritional ketosis for that day. If I'm going to, to be running around, doing aerobic exercise, uh, playing basketball or running, etc., then I eat, I eat a little more of uh, high fiber carbohydrates. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, for example, I would uh, eat some sweet potato and, and all of that uh, because that is targeted towards my activity, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Today, I'm going to run, so I'm going to, to carb up a little bit more. So these are the things that you can juggle. Or I'm going to be lifting weights today, and therefore, I will be eating steak today. So, mm -hmm. um, and these types of adjustments are dynamic, and that's the reason why a, a, a diet uh, is, is actually tailored for you, right? And that's why what I, what I ask, that's when, when I ask a person what his nutrition is, and I take a look at you know, what has happened to his body, and I say, well, okay, obviously this is not working for you, right? Mm -hmm. So let's try this and this until we find a combination. But again, uh, even then, Sim, you know that the effects are very much modified by your gut microbiota. You, know, mm -hmm. you may not have the proper uh, uh, population of gut microbiota, to actually uh, pre-process the food for the amino for the food for the amino acids that you need in your body, so it will have a different effect. Even if it's the same diet given to two different people, will have a different effect. Mm -hmm. So these are the kinds of variables that you you look around. It's 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 plenty. So I peg my my uh, constant to what's called micronutrient optimization, right? Where all of your vitamins, minerals, uh, and and uh, cofactors are all at the optimal levels, uh, meaning between age 21 to 30, that's measured. And uh, then, um, and then uh, uh, basically uh, play around with your macronutrients according to your needs for the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, or for the week, you know, uh, whatever yeah. activity you're doing. Yeah, that's, that's what I uh, like to think of it as well, that uh, you don't necessarily have to you know, be avoidant of uh, any particular food group or a macronutrient group. You just have to know how to optimize the timing of when you consume it uh, for the best results. And like you said, like the the uh, if you're doing like more physical activity, then you can get away with more carbs. Whereas if you're just you know sedentary, then you don't really need those carbs, and you will be much better off to, by staying in ketosis by either having like a you know fattier meal or just uh, you know fasting a bit longer or something like that. But you never really don't want to combine the fats and carbs together because that's, yeah, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we we've seen what's happened to the United States, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it was great uh, talking with you and uh, great catching up. So, uh, uh, where can people learn more about you and your work for uh, health optimization? For health optimization, you could go to healthoptimization.org. Uh, that has a Z. Healthoptimization.org or homehope.org. That's home uh, and H-O-P-E.org. 
um, we are um, we are also uh, an Instagram uh, at, at home hope org, and um, I have a, a new tropic line called Blue Canatine, and mm -hmm. well, you know um, uh, which you can which you can look up at uh, transcriptions.com. Um, yeah, like uh, let's let's talk about it a little bit because yeah. it's it's like a <laughs> it's a you were handing it out at the health opposition summit and it's like a supposedly giving you this uh, blue blue tongue if you uh, put it in your mouth and it's like a blue trocky. So like, what is it and uh, what is it supposed to do? Yeah, it's uh, you know it's something that I uh, formulated uh, about uh, four years ago as a gum and then um, I reformulated it into. Uh, a buckle trochee. Buckle meaning you have to insert it on in your cheek rather than dissolve it under your tongue. Um, mm -hmm. And it's uh, intended to increase your focus, your working memory, to rev up your brain, and so on. Um, uh, and people have been have been actually been doing the marketing work for us who've tried it and said, <laughs> "Okay, be limitless for you know the the the, the TV series and the movie Limitless, right? Yeah. Um, with the with the drug and NCT and they're comparing it with NCT without the side effects and so on. It's it's kind of interesting. Um, it has methylene blue. That's why it turns your tongue blue. Uh, there's already been a study with uh, methylene blue and memory, of course, in humans. Uh, they use a very high dose. Uh, I think they use 100 milligrams, which is mm -hmm. really high. Um, it has. Uh, we we know uh, that the underappreciated nootropic is uh, uh, nicotine uh, in mm -hmm. a very low dose. Uh, this this is just uh, one milligram of nicotine per per trochee, uh, and um, and and that uh, of course uh, is the one that that uh, gives you this uh, sort of like a an awareness boost, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then there's in order to to mitigate the um, the caffeine effects, which is only about half a cup, like, like it's uh, like fifty milligrams of caffeine mm -hmm. per trochee, and you know, uh, you, you know what ca caffeine, caffeine has already been known to do all sorts of good things for you. Uh, and to, to round out, because there's, if, you, if you don't put uh, CBD in it, our, our, uh, uh, hemp, we use hemp-derived um, CBD crystals. And so it's measured also. So this is precision formulated. All the dosaging per trochee, you actually can see the milligram uh, content in there. Um, okay. I, you know, I, because I work with, we, we're actually, actually uh, looking at our company called Smarter Not Harder uh, to produce mm. products that are actually precision dosed in all of this stuff. So what it does is that it, it you know, uh, some, some podcasters I know cannot start their podcasts without blue canatine now. <laughs> um, it's actually derived from, the, the, the name is derived from the ingredients. Blue is for methylene blue, ka is for caffeine, na is ca for cannabidiol, teen is for nicotine. So you, yeah. you could see the the name right there. <laughs> um, I just I just received a, a something that came from from UK. You know that that you know we're, we're not even aggressively marketing. People seem to seem to like it. And uh, if you try it, I I, I think uh, you'll you'll know why. It has it has this uh, is it, this is it has this uh, very uh, very suave ramp up, mm -hmm. and then you have you're highly focused. And uh, mentally productive uh, for about three hours, uh, and then uh, there's a smooth, uh, no crash, 
yeah. uh, come down from it. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I've I've tried it and it's uh it's like a very relaxing cup of coffee without like any anxiety or without any jitter sort of. So you you can't really, I feel like you can't really overdo it if you just take like one chokey and it's it's a, it's a very like calming and relaxed state of mind. Yeah, even even um uh, in the packaging that it's coming out with, it's only four trochees. So that's just equivalent to really uh, uh, two cups of coffee, mm-hmm. you know, or, or if you take the 200 milligrams of uh, coffee a day, then of, of cup of coffee a day, then that's only one cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, two cups of coffee, you know, one half stick of uh, uh, cigarette without the other um, uh, filthy ingredients of cigarette, just pure nicotine. And our, the nicotine that we use, by the way, is uh, synthetic nicotine. It's not derived from plant. Uh, mm-hmm. Nicotine Polacrylex is the one that's used in the gum. Right? Okay. So, so, so we actually have an accurate measure of the things that are going on in there. And those are actually being sold already commercially, like uh, the nicotine gum and so on. So okay. we, we're just modeling ourselves uh, from that. But the nice thing about it is that, is that uh, it, re- it really does give you that, that effect. And recommended dose is only four trophies a day, um, uh, just so to to prevent you know uh, any abuse. In fact, some people may be sensitive to it. The trophy can be divided into four. You know, some people who are really afraid start at one fourth and say, "Okay, there's no effect." And next time they take half, and you know mm-hmm. they they slowly ramp it up. But um, yeah, it's um, uh, it's at prescriptions.com. That's like prescriptions, but a TRO. And you could see the science behind it uh, over there. And um, it's, um, it's uh, very funny because uh, those people who are afraid of those molecules haven't taken a look at a single study on those molecules. But then, again, back to health optimization, Sim, uh, before we, we end this, is that before you overclock your brain with blue canotine, make sure that your neurons are optimized, right? <laughs> yeah. You can get your, your, your brain metabolites tested for the neurotransmitters, you know, for dopamine, epinephrine, serotonin, uh, you know, and you can take a look at le- levels of those and then optimize those first, you know, with some amino acids uh, and, you know, mucunoprurians for do- dopamine and so on. And then when you're, uh, when you're uh, balanced with your neurotransmitters, then you can overclock it, right, with, with something like glucanotine. Because um, what I always say is you cannot have um, a performance optimization without health optimization first. In the same way, you cannot have performance uh, optimization of your brain without uh, optimizing your brain health first. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's a good uh, note to start wrapping things up. And my last question is, um, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner? I wish I never became a doctor (laughs) 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 because that, uh, that actually um, disturbed my chronotype or my uh, uh, sleep patterns. Right. Mm -hmm. I used to be able to sleep uh, well uh, at night, but medical school training in, 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 in medical training, you are forced to get up. So my chronotype changed. Uh, Mike, Michael Bruce uh, published a book, right, on uh, the different chronotypes. And I became a dolphin, you know, which is like sleep with one eye closed and yeah. um, the, the contralateral half of the brain is awake. 
and and it alternates between that. So it means that you're become a very poor sleeper. One of the things that rejuvenates us and all is that you no matter how difficult it is for you, and it is an epidemic of our time. You know, I know you have to deal with food and sunlight and all healthy air and so on and so forth. The one thing that you should never give up on improving is your sleep. Um, you know, it's something that's very easy, right? And I tell my, and this is the advice, uh, Sim, that I give all of my clients. Your day begins at the time that you sleep. Yeah. That's called my Dr. Ted's sleep anchoring technique. Anchor your sleep at a particular time. Even if you're traveling, say, I'm going to sleep at this time. Mm -hmm. So when you're writing up your schedule, you know, sleep goes first. So you never skimp on it. After you're done sleeping, you can put a check mark on it and go to your next activity. You know, other people will say meditation and so on and so forth will be the first thing that they do uh, in their, in their uh, morning. But for me, the first thing in my schedule is sleep. And then everything else follows from that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, yeah, like if you put it into a schedule, then you may actually start to value it a lot more. <laughs> yes, and you you say you can say uh, no. I can you know I can stay up late tonight and finish this work, right? That's your tendency, right? You you go ah, okay, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work late, and then suddenly you find yourself skimping on sleep. Mm -hmm. So so instead of saying you know uh, sleep is not something that you have to do. You put it as number one, sleep. Yeah. And then, of course, the rest follows, you know, high, proper hydration, proper nutrition, and, and so on and so forth. But th that goes on during the day. And of course, uh, 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 the, the one thing after sleep that I would recommend is know how to, how to return to a parasympathetic mode, meaning a rest and digest mode, because it's a sympathetic world out there, stressful and so on and so, so forth. And, you know, even just a few moments of breathing um, um, and, and uh, a mindful walking and stuff like that that returns you into a parasympathetic state uh, every now and then during the day, even just for a minute or two, would uh, actually helps a lot. Yeah, that's true. That's a good, good tip. Um, well, yeah, thanks for coming to the podcast and uh, looking forward to having you back on the show in, in a short time. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, Sim. And it's great to see you at, um, uh, in, in London. I hope yeah. to see you again soon. Yeah, you too, definitely. We'll uh, stay in touch. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.